So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. Yeah, can you believe that? I, I, I said it. Does that mean it's going to happen? It's like saying, let there be light. And then <laughs> that's God speaking, right? But my intent is to finish chapter 1. How's that? I'll, I'll rephrase that. I intend to finish chapter 1. So the book of Hebrews, it's towards the back of your Bible. It's like almost towards the back. It's one of the last books of the Bible. Um, if you find James, you went too far. Hebrews is actually a sermon that's written in letter form. And the people he's writing to uh, have been following the Lord for a number of years. They've gone through some various hardships and trials, but they're starting to get discouraged and wondering if Jesus is worth it, you know? And so part of, so part of the letter is to encourage them to stay with Christ, you know? And what he does throughout the letter is compares Jesus is better than various other forms of communication and um, people that they would want to follow. And the first section here is he's comparing Jesus to angels. And angels back in those days were highly venerated because they helped bring the law into, um, into the world. And there was a problem also with people thinking that God was so, there was a thing called Gnosticism, where people were, were they taught that, that God was so holy and otherworldly that he could not possibly have been in contact with the physical world. So the belief was that he sent various emanations to, to then send his message. You know? And so you got so far apart from God. You know? and, and he said, uh, they, they taught that, they would, um, that God wouldn't, couldn't be touched, right? So, that, so we get to send various other forms of angels and beings to send his messages, which the problem was like it got you so far from far from God that you never got in c- contact with him. And some people think that's how God is today, right? And what the writer of Hebrews is going to show us is that no, actually Jesus Christ, who's God in the flesh, actually came himself. Which means there wasn't like this whole list of separate, you know, people and you know all the red tape to get to God. It was God Himself, God the Son, coming in the flesh. That when you come to Christ, when you might meet Jesus, you're meeting God in the flesh. And so the idea was that, that they would think that there were these angels that would come and send messages. And one of the problems that happens even today is that, is that people's concept of Jesus is either they don't know him. Say, yeah, I know about Jesus, but I don't really know about Jesus. They haven't read the Bible. They haven't studied. They haven't prayed. But they know thoughts about him and ideas that, that fall way short of who he really is. So one of the problems is that Jesus gets devalued. They call him a teacher, they call him a prophet, he was a good man, he's just another human being, that kind of thing. So they devalue Jesus. The other problem is they elevate mankind and other angels to to Godhead, right? That's the problem. In fact, I was sitting on a, I was on a plane recently and I was sitting next to a lady, older lady, who um, came in and she opened up a book about angels. Now, having a glance, um, and I like to keep to myself, how many guys, when you fly, you, don't talk to me, you know, you got the invisible blinders on, you know, so I'm, you know, I've got my iPad open and my screen's really dark because I'm, I'm just like the focus, and I'm like this, looking at, and I, I noticed, I glanced over, and it was a book about, about angels. But I also recognized the author of the book, who was a New Age author at the time, she's since become a Christian, uh, and so she's put out on her webpage, say, don't buy my books anymore, because I was dead wrong, you know? 
she's reading this book about angels that that so elevate angels to you know like to godhood status right that's the lie that satan told in the garden hey if you eat this fruit you'll be like god you'll elevate yourself to godhood you know that's what the mormons believe so the problem is two problems when you bring jesus down or you raise mankind up right both both are a problem and so the writer of Hebrews, right off the bat, says, listen, Jesus is better than the angels. Let's just get that straight. This first chapter and part of chapter 2, that's his whole point. Jesus is better than the angels. And I'm going to tell you in like eight different ways. You know? We covered three last week. We'll cover five today, Lord willing. <laughs> Lord willing. I don't mean to laugh out of, I'm just nervous, you know, because... Jesus has a better name than the angels, a better title. He's called the Son. Look at, uh, just to re- re- recap from last time, verse 5. For, for to which of the angels says he ever said? Has he ever said, you are my son? None of them. They're called sons of God, bene Elohim in Hebrew. But that's not the same class and category as Jesus, the Son of God. He's of the same nature as God. He has the same substance as God, the same essence as God. You and I are, are children by adoption. We're, we're children because God has done a work. But he's the unique, the, the only begotten son of God. He has a better name. He's called son. Secondly, he has a better position. This was from last week. He's the firstborn. Look at verse 6. Again, he brings the firstborn. The idea of firstborn has to do with rank. My firstborn is the, 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 the top of the, of the rank. They get the double inheritance. Firstborn refers to rank. And thirdly, he is to be worshipped. Look what it says in verse 6. And let all the angels of God worship him. Now your, your Mormon friends, we have Mormon neighbors that are great neighbors. They believe that Jesus is just an angel that's been elevated. Jesus is not an angel, he's God. Now let's start in verse 7. I got five more reasons why Jesus is better than the angels. First reason is that Jesus actually directs the angels. Look at what it says in verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes the angels, sorry, glasses on, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. By the way, in your Bible, you might notice that there's a lot of capitalization. How many of you guys have, like, it, that part was all... Okay, so the writer of Hebrews is going to quote a lot from the Old Testament. He's going to quote from, uh, a lot from Psalms and some from various portions, okay? Which is a good idea, idea to, uh, to cross-reference. He's quoting here, actually, um, from Psalm 104. He makes his, who makes his angels winds and his ministers of flaming fire. Jesus actually makes and directs his angels. I want you to turn to Psalm 104. Let's check out Psalm 104. Go to, go to your left and turn to watch Psalm 104. Because Psalm, Psalm 104 is a psalm that describes the greatness of God. I'm not going to read the entire psalm. Just the first few verses. Psalm 104. The psalm describes God's greatness of himself and his works. Speaks of his sovereignty and his control of everything. It says, bless 
the Lord or bless Yahweh. That's the sacred name of the Lord, Yahweh, or if it says in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D. That's the sacred name. That's the name the Jewish people won't, won't mention. That's the name that was revealed to, to, uh, to Moses. It's his covenant-keeping name. It says, you can count on me name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. O Yahweh, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, wrapping yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heavens like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He sets up the clouds to be his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. And here it is, verse 4 is what Hebrews is quoting. He makes his angels the winds, his ministers flaming fire. He goes on to describe in the rest of the psalm how he causes the grass to grow. He establishes the earth. He's in control. God is in control and God is sovereign over all creation. And what Hebrews is saying is he makes, he directs angels to do his work. The writer of Hebrews is saying, angels are servants, Jesus is sovereign. They do his bidding, he doesn't do their bidding. Um, and he's, the point here is that Jesus directs them, he directs the angels. Um, he does, they do his bidding. Psalm 115 in verse 3 says, but our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Okay, here's the thing that has to happen. To come to Christ, the first thing you have to recognize is that he's in control and you're not. Most of the human race is living their life as if they're God, God of their own life. How is that working out for you? Not very good, huh? By the way, when people do things wrong, don't blame God. You decided to rebel against God and to live your life and say, God, thank you, but no thank you. I'll live my life my way and I'll make my choices. And now when you do something that's wrong or bad, you want to blame God. But by the way, he allowed you to make that choice. God is sovereign, but he's also sovereign enough to allow you to make your choice. That's a little side issue here. <laughs> I did say I was going to finish chapter one, so better. <laughs> but God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign, and angels are his servants. So he says, go back to Hebrews, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels wins. The idea of making obviously has to do, it's the word poeo. If you're back at Hebrews 1, you guys back at Hebrews 1, verse 7, it says he makes the word, Greek word is poeo, means to create or make. And obviously, Jesus made the angels, right? He made each one of us. But also, the word poeo has the idea of, of um, causing a change and turning it into something different. Okay, he uses it in John 2 where he says, stop making my father's house a place of business. This is where Jesus drives out the temple changers and the, the, the temple was supposed to be a place of worship, right? A sacrifice and worship. And they had set up business, and they were ripping people off, and they were, they were in the way of the worship of God. And he says, stop making my father's house. They had, take, they had taken something that was created to be a holy place, and they turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. The idea of making is they changed that. Jesus Christ not only makes the angels, but he also shifts their, their purposes. He also does the same with our life, doesn't he? 
He's the one who's, who can take, he could take whatever, whatever, he could take whatever material he's, he's like that artist that can just make something creative out of just a clump of clay, right? Some of us have been sort of that mess, right? See, you don't feel like you have to fix yourself up to make yourself usable to God. It's you come as you are. And God is the one who can make and shift and change things to create when you and do something in your life that displays his glory. Amen? So I used to think this way. I used to think, God, I have to perfect myself before I can come and feel like I'm usable to you. Have you guys ever felt that way? I still struggle. I know I still struggle with that. I still look at my past and that just the sinful things I did in my past. It's like, how could you use me, God? How could you use me? And God's like, you're just the clay. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the artist. I'm the, the potter. And what he does with each one of us, he makes us into something that's glorifying him. That's the idea of that word. The word is also used in John 4 where he makes the water into wine. <laughs> so Jesus is sovereign. The angels are servants. The angels do his bidding. They are directed by Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts who serve him, doing his will. So he says, and he makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. Why does he talk to, about angels as winds? What does that mean? Well, think about wind. Wind is what? It's invisible. God has angels. You know, he's got angels right here in this room. We can't see them. You know, it's just, they're, they're here. And they're, they're doing the bidding of God. You realize that what we, there's more to life than what you see with your physical eyes. We're actually blinded spiritually. There's a whole spiritual realm that is more real than, than what you and I see. And we read last week that there's myriads and myriads of angels. We'd be trillions of angels. And they're just doing God's bidding. In fact, he, he talks about how some of the angels are what we call guardian angels who stand before the Father and they do his bidding concerning our lives. So angels are like winds. They are invisible. But they're also like wind. They're very powerful. I've never been in a hurricane before. My, one of my best friends, he lives in New Orleans. and That's some, some strong winds, right? They're very, very strong. There's great power. In the Old Testament, there's an account when uh, the armies of uh, Sennacherib, the Assyrians, were surrounding Jerusalem, and God wiped out 180,000 of their troops with one angel. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> one angel, <laughs> you know? That's power. And thirdly, like when they travel fast. I think they travel faster than light. They'd probably travel as fast as God's thought, however fast that is, you know. Swift. Think about that. And it says, he says, and his ministers are like 
flaming fire. What does that mean? Well, fire in the Old Testament speaks of God's judgment, divine judgment. Sometimes God uses his angels to execute his wrath. You read in the Old Testament, Genesis 19, it was angels that came to check out what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is visited by three men. One's the Lord and two are angels. And the angels left and say, hey, we're going to check out what's going on here. And then they warn Lot, hey, y'all need to get out of here because we can't destroy this place until you guys are safe enough, right? Those are angels. Jesus comments about angels' work as... Uh, this work as well as Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and his angels will do his work with that. So angels are created by God to serve God and Jesus is the sovereign. That's my first point. Let's go on to the next verse. Second reason why Jesus is better than the angels in verse eight is Jesus has a better rule than angels. Look at what it says. But of the Son, he says, by the way, but, that's a contractive, contractive conjunction there, means he's con, con, contra, contrasting the work of angels with the work of God. And Jesus says, the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous and the scepter of right, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and have hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness of all your commandments. Here he's quoting from Psalm 45. Go to Psalm 45. Psalm 45. There's a principle with Bible interpretation is that the Bible interprets the Bible. And unclear passages are interpreted by the clear passages. And the writer here the, 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 uh, of Hebrews, in his sermon, he's making statements, but he's supporting them with other scripture. So here in Psalm 45, which this is a psalm of love psalm that was actually a royal wedding song written uh, to a bride and groom. The first part is directed toward a king that was in the line of David, the verses 1 through 8, and, and uh, verses um, 9 through uh, 15 as well. But verses 6 and 7 is what Hebrews is, is quoting, and this is addressed to the king. So let me just, I just want to read the first few verses. My heart overflows with the good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful scribe. That's Psalm 45, verse 2 now. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. He's talking to the groom here. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, you ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. But then he says in verse 6, and this is what Hebrews quotes, your throne, O God. So now he's directed at a Davidic king. Jesus is the son of David. He's heir to the throne. If you read Matthew's account, the, God, the genealogy is to show that he, can, he is the king, king David's son who could sit on the throne. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
a scepter of right uprightness and the scepter of your kingdom. So here in Hebrews, he says of the son. So he's referring to the son as the king who's also God. Right? In fact, Jesus, on his Bible study with the two men uh, on the road to Emmaus, he's, he carried, he, I'll read this in Luke 24, Jesus says to these two men, uh, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things were, which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now we know the writer of Hebrews is reading his Old Testament with Jesus' glasses on, Right? Because Christ is spoken of here. So here the writer of Hebrews says, hey, when you read verse 6, and it says, your throne, O God, he says, of the Son, this is speaking of the Son. Look at verse 7. Same, um, Psalm 45, verse 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you. Stop right there. He's talking to God the Son in verse 6. You see that? Your throne, O God, that's God the Son. But he says, God the Son, your God has anointed you. You see that? With the oil of joy above your companions. God is anointed by God. God the Son is anointed by God the, God the Father. Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news. Jesus is a better ruler than the angels. Go back to Hebrews 1, verse 8. So he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, your throne. The word there is thronos. You just heard a Greek word, Greek 101. Thronos is the word throne. There will not be a vocabulary test later on. The thronos speaks of his of sovereignty and dominion and authority and his right to execute judgment and maintain justice. Your throne, O God is forever and ever. Jesus is enthroned as the king. He's the long-awaited king. That's why when he was born in Luke 1, the angel said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. By the way, there is no democracy in heaven. There is no democracy in heaven. There is a king. Jesus Christ. By the way, he is worthy to be king because of who he is, as Jesus, the Son of God. But he's also worthy to be king because he purchased salvation for us. Amen? Good leaders will put themselves in the, in the front of the line. They won't hide behind people. Jesus Christ, he says, I'll take it upon myself to sacrifice, sacrifice myself to purchase with my blood their salvation. He's worthy to be followed. Amen? Angels will do his bidding a thought. Go do this, bam. Give this word to this person. Minister to this person. Bam, bam. You, you got, they are ready. Is your life like an angel in the sense you're ready to do God's bidding? Or is it, no, God, in my time, God, when I want to, God, that's unheard of in heaven. It's unheard of. Angels are probably wondering, what did you just say to God? <laughs> you don't realize, you know? He's the king, and every knee is going to bow to his kingship. Amen? 
Why is his rule better than the angels? Look at what it says. His rule is forever and ever. Look at your throne, O God, verse 8, is forever and ever. The word forever is ion. We get the word age from eternity. The psalmist comments in 90, Psalm 93, verse 2, your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. This speaks of Jesus. He is forever. His rule is forever. His reign is without end. No one is going to knock him off his throne. That gives me great hope. And he is secure as a king, and there's no one that's going to usurp him. Amen? That's why later on in Hebrews, he comments in chapter 7, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently, Therefore, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. Jesus Christ, chapter 13, is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. He's the king. He rules forever. He also rules righteously. Look at what it says here, verse 8. But your throne, O God, is forever and ever and the scepter of righteousness or uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You don't have to worry if Jesus is a crooked leader. You do when you vote on election day, whether that man is going to be a straight leader or a crooked leader. But Jesus Christ is an upright leader. The word upright right there, you see that word righteousness? It means straightness. It's the word, uh, and I can't pronounce this word, youth. Jesus rules with straightness, not crooked. It means to be level. We say, hey, be on the level with me, right? With Jesus, you're getting an honest king and leader who rules rightly. He's worthy to rule because he is righteous. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That's speaking of Jesus. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Hey, God bless our political leaders. They go and they try to lead us. That's fantastic. That's God ordained. Romans talks about how they're, and we need to pray for our leaders. And I can't imagine the amount of pressure that's on those guys to, to try to make decisions lead, right? So, you know, Jesus is, of course, the pinnacle. We know that. And so I might, might pray for the men that, that, that pray for our leaders as, as the scripture ta- tells us to do, you know. But someday it's going to be no more elections. It's going to be King Jesus is coming and he will rule rightly. So many cries of people's hearts are for justice and righteousness and goodness and fairness and all that. Kind of, he knows how to rule rightly because he's righteousness itself. He's better than the angels because he rules rightly. He rules with righteousness. He's also better because of his character. Look at his character. Therefore, the verse 9, he reigns with righteousness and he reigns with joy. Look what he says here. 
Therefore, God, your God, wait, hold on. You have, um, verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This comes from his very character. It's, it's who he is. He loves righteousness. He speaks and rules righteously. The psalmist, I think, is predictive of Jesus in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. I want to do your will, is what the Lord says. Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. Uh, the upright will behold his face. And he hates lawlessness. When he is tempted by Satan to go against God and the word of God, he doesn't go for it. He hates sin. He loves God. So Jesus is better than the angels in his rule. Thirdly, verse 10. I'm always there. Verse 14 is coming up soon, isn't it? <laughs> keep going. Keep going. He is superior in his work. That's why another reason why he's better than the angels, because he's superior in his work. Look at what it says in verse 10. Oh, by the way, let me just comment in here. Look at verse 9, at the end of verse 9. You see that? The oil of gladness. The oil of gladness. You see that? You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. You see that? And watch the connection between doing righteousness and joy. You see that? You have loved righteousness and hated law. You have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness, therefore... He's anointed you with the oil of gladness. There's a direct relationship between righteousness and joy. You see that? Some of the most miserable people are miserable because they live unrighteous lives. Where's the fun? And some people don't want to come to the Lord because they think it's boring, right? Why well, believe in Jesus? No, let's go party and do our, our thing. That's more fun. No, it's not. You're miserable. Right? Some of us have lived that life, haven't we? We've gone that direction. It was fun for a time, but that was miserable. We had no joy. Come on, go to a bar. Go to a club. And look at the empty faces that come in there looking for, for life and wicked living and unrighteous living. There's no joy, but there's joy in righteousness, amen? You know, Jesus is joy. He's a joy. He's not like, I love watching Jesus movies, right? I love watching like the old ones, you know? And some of these guys are like, like they're, they're like depressing. The scripture says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy, amen? The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy is second. It's like near the top, which means there's laughter in heaven, there's joy with Jesus. I tend to be a serious guy, right? I'm, I'm very, I'm a, that's my mom. Uh, look at pictures. I have pictures from when I was like second grade. Real serious because I take myself real, you know, I was like real serious, you know, and I had a, so that's just how I'm wired, you know, and God's trying to, I'm like Lurch from, remember Adam's family? <laughs> you guys remember Lurch? Yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> You rang, you know. <laughs> gotta loosen up, John. You gotta loosen up. You know, I'm that guy. I'm him, right? 
He doesn't look very happy. I remember one time, no, I'm not a storyteller. I'm just giving an example, okay? I, scripture's here, right? I, but um, one time, and I, I don't have this happen. Nick, this, I'm not, okay? But I had a dream one time. I think it was from the Lord. And I think it was sort of like the Lord just telling me to kind of just enjoy, enjoy him, right? But, so in this dream, I'm at, I think it was at the Sea of Galilee or something. You know, I'm, I'm there, the water, and just a dream. And I, it's not scripture, okay? I'm just going to just this spoke, it was God, you know. And in my dream, Jesus is with his disciples at the Sea of Galilee, and they're laughing. Just like having a joyous time. And I, it was almost like I was an innocent bystander just walking by, and I, I'm like, oh, it was my perspective of Jesus changed there. It's okay. If the Spirit, His fruit is love, joy, and there's joy and gladness. I think there's joy in the heart of God. And there can be joy in our lives as we live righteously, amen? Okay, sorry, that was, that was a sort of a side note. from. <laughs> he is superior, verse 10, in his work. You, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. I mean, I think we've already established the point. Jesus is so much better than the angels, amen? I mean, this is sort of overkill, you know? <laughs> they serve, he, 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 he leads, directs. Here it's, his work is superior. First of all, this is a quote from Psalm 102. Hey, let's do it one more time. Psalm 102, go to your left. And let's look here. Psalm 102, and this is from verse uh, 25, I think, in Psalm 102. So go there to your left. Psalm 102 and verse 25 says, as he's quoting from, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will remain. In fact, he says the same thing up in verse 12, but you, O Yahweh, abide forever. Verse 26, even they will perish, but you will remain, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Jesus is superior in his word because he created the earth, right? In the beginning, you founded the earth. Go back to Hebrews 1, verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning, hint, hint, Genesis 1.1, that was Jesus. John starts his gospel, right? And his first epistle with a reference to the beginning. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When God spoke, Jesus came out, so to speak, right? There was Jesus creating the earth. He's the Word of God that is now taken on flesh. Jesus is superior to the angels because he actually is the one who creates the world. He created the world, not some emanation from God several times down the line. No, God himself created the world. Jesus does the work himself. In fact, I think this corresponds with another verse in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works in which God has prepared before him so that we would walk in him. We are his. So he created the world, but he also creates us. He's hands-on. He didn't send some angel to create you. He did it himself with each one of us. He's like the artist who actually takes the paintbrush and actually does this thing, or the sculpture. You ever go to the art shows, you know, and they, I don't go to art shows, I just, art galleries or whatever, you know, and they're valued the, the more the artist has touched the stuff, right? Well, this painting, he kind of did a little couple of highlights here and there, but this painting, the whole thing's by himself. That's more valuable. And guess what? Jesus Christ, with each single, every single one of us, has his hands on us. Amen? He does the work himself. By the way, the work that he does in our lives remains. Amen? Fourthly, let's go on to the next one. Verse 11. He is superior in his name, or his nature rather. He's superior in his nature. Look at verse 11. He is eternal. Look what it says. They will perish but you will remain. He is eternal. He is... um, They will perish, but you will remain. Verse 12. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. He is also immutable. He's eternal because he's outside of time. Time is a created thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens and the earth. Space, time. Am I leaving something out? <laughs> Genesis 1.1. Space, time, energy, matter. Energy goes, energy, matter, go back. That was e, e, Einstein. E, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Right? You, you guys know that, right? E, <laughs> e equals mc squared. How many of you guys know that formula? Okay, that's Einstein. E is energy. Equals, this is not Bible right now, but this is... <laughs> energy, if you want energy, you've got to take matter times the speed of light squared. And you go, they go back and forth. Am I right? Or they go, right? But guess what? Eventually, in all the entire universe, everything's going to wind down and run out of gas, so to speak, Right? He says that, in fact, he says, like a garment, they will be changed. But you're, you're, Like a garment, verse 11, they will wear out like a garment. 
Scientists know this. I mean, we all know this. We have to change light bulbs, don't we? We have to get, put gas in our car. Everything's winding. We get old and everything's winding up, but G God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that gives me great hope because I don't have to worry about him and my on his good side 20,000 years from now. No, he remains the same. He is unchangeable, which means he's unchangeable in his goodness. He's unchangeable in his love. He's unchangeable in his power. No change. His nature doesn't change. We deteriorate, God doesn't. We change, God doesn't. When we are weak, he is still strong. Which means, as I get older... Joints aren't working as much, Natalie. My hair is gray, right? Things, you know, you can sleep on the wrong side and you get hurt, right? How many of you guys have discovered that? I, I slept on my left side and now I'm injured. Where did that come from? Right? He's superior in his nature because that is a, And here's the thing that's good news. Then we get to heaven. We have new bodies on age. I'm hoping for a 25, 30-year-old looking body, you know. We have something to look forward to. God is constant. God doesn't change. In fact, there's going to come a time when this universe, this creation, he's going to roll up like an old garment. How many of you guys like to get rid of old clothes? Yeah. They got holes in them, you throw them out, you give them away to whatever, you know, and, and some of you just got to roll up and just kind of just toss it. And one day that's going to happen. In fact, Peter talks about in Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like, like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. But Jesus Christ remains the same in his nature. He's the same. He doesn't change. He doesn't end. Praise God. Scripture says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And finally, my fifth point, that Jesus is greater than the angels because he has a better destiny than the angels. Watch this. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said? I just love to say that word ever, right? Has he ever, ever said this? Sit at my right hand. What's the right hand? Right hand was the seat of strength. God's right hand in Scripture is a strength. But it's also, if you're at the right hand of God, which means that you are equal with God. Right? Sit at my right hand. Has he ever told any angel to come up here and sit next to me? No. But at the sun, he, is, he has said that. But he says, to which of, the, which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool under your feet? You, you see this in, in the book of Joshua. When kings would conquer a people, they would, they would take the other king and put him under his foot as a sign of submission. That I've defeated you. And if I wanted to, I can, you know, to your, you know, to your neck. And I, but, but you're in submission. And so the idea is that 
all of the enemies of God are going to come under the foot of Christ, under his, that there's no going to be no more rebellion, no more, no more, no more enemy coming and taunting us and tempting us and leading us astray. Jesus' destiny is greater than angels. His destiny is to be the ruler and the day of the king. That's why in Philippians 2 it says, And so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. In heaven, on the earth, under the earth, that's hell. Everyone, eventually, willingly or unwillingly. My question now, are you bowing to Jesus willingly now or will you bow unwillingly later on? I've seen a Jesus. The destiny of the world is going in this direction. All of history is going in this direction. You're wondering, where is the world going? Where is life going? It's going in this direction where Jesus Christ is going to reign supreme as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the question now, is he king of your heart and your life now? Or are you going to wait until it's too late? Even angels worship him. And all of history is going in this direction. So my question is, if he's better than the angels in all these different ways, have you recognized him as being superior and supreme? Have you decided to make him your king and to surrender him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your name is the name above all names. That you are Lord of Lords, you're King of Kings, you're the Son of God. You're the author of life. And not only that, Lord, you purchased eternal life for us when you shed your blood on the cross, your spotless, innocent blood that you willingly gave to atone and pay for our sins. As we sung earlier, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that, first of all, that if there's anyone here or anyone watching online who has not surrendered their lives to Jesus, that they, they would do so today. As your word says, today is the day of salvation. Friend, surrender your life to Christ. The only way to Jesus, or to the Father, is through Jesus. And the way to Jesus is a simple prayer of trust. Lord, I pray that we would not only trust you initially with our lives and salvation, but that our lives would be a life that demonstrates your work of righteousness and holiness. Lord, thank you that you can take take us as we are and you can fashion us and shape us into your image. Thank you for your grace, Lord. None of us deserves it, Lord. None of us. Not one person deserves it, Lord. 
your word says that while we were enemies, you, Christ died for us. Before we were even searching for God, he was searching for us. He's calling some here to follow him. Say, yes, Lord. I will follow you. I will trust you. Wash me clean with your blood. Lord, we give you praise this morning. We thank you, Lord, for you're so good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up? If you're, uh, first of all, if you're new, sign one of our, our guest cards. If, if you need any prayer, I'll be up front. You can pray. Um, and uh, anyway, God bless you guys. It's my dad's here. You guys have met my dad and my dad, my stepmom, and their family. My Nicholas, my stepsister's son. I don't want to embarrass you guys. So, um, I just did. <laughs> the whole world is watching, you know. Uh, Will the Lord bless you and keep you? May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. And may you understand and the joy of the Lord and the goodness of God. He loves you very much. You guys have, have a, a great day. Happy Memorial Day. And uh, thank you for, for those who have given their lives for our country. Um, as Jesus says, no man has greater love than this that a man lays down his life for his friends. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.